Good morning, Cornerstone. This is Tina. Today I'll be doing the scripture reading. Please turn to Luke chapter 19, verse 1 to 10. Luke chapter 19, verse 1 to 10. Jesus and Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Hello Cornerstone. Welcome again to our worship service. I am Pastor Paul and I'll be sharing from God's word here today. So we are continuing through our series through the Gospel of Luke. And today we are looking at a story with Zacchaeus. And Jesus has this uh, strange interaction with Zacchaeus. And to just give a little bit of background, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And in those days, uh, tax collectors were frowned upon, to say the least. But we see that Jesus embraces him. And so uh, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us to see uh, who he is through this passage and let's ask the Lord to speak to us. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we uh, ask for you to open up our eyes and hearts to see your word here today. Lord, help us to see who you are here in this passage, in this interaction with Jesus and Zacchaeus. And Lord, um, we pray for you to, uh, to pour your spirit upon us, O oh Lord, and that we would see your truth, see your word, and that we would understand your grace and love here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, Roy Ratcliffe is a pastor who decided to baptize a serial killer. And this serial killer, he was an infamous serial killer from the 80s and 90s. His name was Jeffrey Dahmer. And he uh, killed 17 men and boys in the Milwaukee area. Uh, later on, he was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and other mental disorders. And, but despite that, he was still convicted of murder. And he spent the rest of his life in prison, where eventually he didn't spend too much time in prison. He was actually killed by another inmate. Roy Ratcliffe, the pastor who baptized Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, ended up writing a book about his experience with him. And... Uh, there were a lot of people who were not very happy about this book being written. 
Um, there was a sense of injustice in people to feel that Dahmer would be in heaven because he was saved and baptized. Um, it's this idea that such a horrible person like him would be where we would hopefully be one day. In reality, the, the scandalous nature of the gospel, this is what it's about. The, the gospel is offensive because, yes, even a murderer, a, a rapist, a child molester could be forgiven and could, have spent, and could spend eternity in heaven with God. And that is a scandalous nature of Christ's message here in this passage as well. And that's why many people didn't really understand the, what the message was at that time. Zacchaeus, you know, he wasn't a mass murderer, but he was considered to be a person who was not a part of the religious circle because of who he was and what he did. He was not a part of uh, what they would consider to be the chosen people. In Jesus' day, the assumption was that if you were a, a child of Abraham, if you were a religious Jew, you would be an heir to the promises automatically. You would be made righteous automatically. But Jesus over and over rejects this notion, and he, and he does not assume that just because you are a descendant of Abraham and are a religious Jew, that you would have this uh, right or inheritance automatically. You would have some particular favor with God. No, Jesus rejects that notion over and over again. And in fact, Jesus is oftentimes uh, rebuked and challenged by these religious individuals and rejected by them. And it's because Jesus, he is redefining things. He's changing what it means to receive the favor of God and who enters the kingdom of God. Essentially, who is saved. Jesus is changing what that means. And so the theme of this passage and the theme that we see throughout the scriptures, especially in the Gospel of Luke, is that Jesus' ministry is marked by seeking and saving the lost. In verse 10, uh, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That means that Jesus is seeking and saving those who are unrighteous, those who are not necessarily religious, but those who are broken, who are deeply broken. In previous chapters of Luke, we see it, uh, we see it uh, as, a, as a theme running through the, the gospel. We see it in the parable of the lost sheep, where Pastor Jeff preached on this a few weeks ago, where the shepherd goes after the law, one lost sheep. He, he leaves the 99 and pursues the lost. And the same way Jesus pursues us as well, because each sheep is precious. And Jesus also re redefines who the lost are, and he redefines who can be considered righteous. In, 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 a, in the parable of the same chapter, the parable, parable of the prodigal son, we see uh, the younger son who, who squanders this inheritance he receives from his father. He, he basically demands this inheritance before his father's death and, and takes it and basically abandons the family. Um, but when he squanders it, he, he comes back thinking that he would be a servant to his father, but instead the father embraces him, runs after him, hugs him, welcomes him back. And he throws a huge banquet, a huge party for him, kills the, the, the fattened calf and, and celebrates that his son has returned because his son was lost and was now found. Now the older son, 
who never left his father's side, who was loyal to his father, was upset. Because why should a son who abandoned the family, who threw away uh, the inheritance, be rewarded in any way? And that's how any normal person would respond. Any, any person who was in this older brother situation would think this way. How could he be accepted right away by the father? How, how is there no sense of uh, consequences? Why is there no punishment? And so in the same way, Jesus is redefining who the lost are and who, who get to be embraced by him as well. And so in the story of Zacchaeus, we see that we are all lost and we are all in need of forgiveness. Zacchaeus is most definitely not a part of this quote-unquote chosen people. In verse 7, it says, And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now again, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and not just a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. Jesus is on his journey to Jerusalem uh, here in the context of the passage. And, and along, the, along the way, he is in the city of Jericho. And, and Jericho was a place where they collected taxes often because it was a crossroads that led to many different cities and roads. And so Zacchaeus was one of those people who collected taxes for himself. But, but in addition to that, he had other people collecting taxes and he would basically get a cut of those taxes as well. So not only was he a, a tax collector who collected for himself, but he would have other people working under him too. And we also know that he probably stole money from people, maybe pulling off a Ponzi scheme of that time. Maybe he was even a Bernie, Bernie Madoff of the ancient time. It says in verse 8, And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So we see here, Zacchaeus is basically not a good person. He was a bad guy. People didn't like him, and he was definitely not considered a righteous man by any means. They even call him a sinner, flat out. And again, he's not a murderer. He's not a serial killer. He is not a uh, someone who stole. He, but he is someone who stole and, and cheated and profited off of other people's misfortune. And there was no way he would ever be considered righteous in the eyes of God to most people. He did some truly, truly horrible things. Now let's get back to the story from chapter 18 uh, that happened right before this, because uh, we, we see the story of a rich young ruler. And in, in Luke 18, Jesus describes the story of, of a rich young ruler who approaches Jesus and he asks, What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus basically responds by saying, sell everything that you have. Sell it all and give it to the poor and follow me. Well, we see that in the story, we see the rich young ruler could, could not do it. He could not give up his wealth and he couldn't let it go. Now, this rich young ruler was considered to be a righteous man, actually. He was a upstanding Jew who probably went to the synagogue regularly, who maybe was even a religious leader who gave tithes and offerings and, and kept the commandments. And, and he was rich, which meant that people thought he was blessed by God. Does this sound familiar at all? This could sound like any one of us here at Cornerstone. Instead of replacing Jew, it's, it's Christian. But, but Jesus is, essentially says it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
And he says, basically, that it's really hard for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and the disciples are dumbfounded by this because if this upstanding Jew, this moral Jew, is unable to enter the kingdom of God, then, then who can? Who is able to? Well, then, Jesus basically says that it's impossible. The disciples are right. It's impossible to enter the kingdom of God. And what he means by that is without him, without Jesus, it really is impossible. But with him, of course, it is possible. So in the previous chapter in Luke 18, we, we've seen just how the most religious, wealthy Jew could not enter the kingdom of God. But then we see Zacchaeus, a, a man who had no shot of entering the kingdom of God by any earthly measure. He was, again, a lost cause. He, he did horrible things. He was someone who was not considered to be a good person. And even though he is the least likely candidate to receive the grace of God, he, he in fact does. Jesus reaches out to him and he, and Zacchaeus embraces Jesus and welcomes him joyfully into his life. We are all like Zacchaeus in some way. We may not have sinned like him, but we are all like him. We are all sinners here. We may not have stolen or cheated or killed anybody in our lives, but we all have done a million things that are against God. A million things that we cannot even remember or even think of at this moment. Jesus is laying that out here for us, that we are all sinners, and even someone like Zacchaeus can be saved. Jesus truly seeks and saves the lost. We are the ones that are lost and we need to be found. And so here in the story, we, we see that Zacchaeus really wants to see Jesus. We're not sure why. Well, we're not sure what compels him. Maybe it's because um, he wasn't happy with the life he had. Maybe the wealth he had was not good enough anymore. It didn't satisfy him. But he really wants to see who Jesus was. And because he's a small little guy, he climbs up the sycamore tree. But, but it's not Zacchaeus who yells out Jesus' name. No, it's Jesus who calls out to Zacchaeus. Verse 5 of our passage says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, Zacchaeus didn't introduce himself. Jesus already knew his name. Now, we, we've seen Jesus do this before. He's, he, he, he is a prophet, right? And, and he is able to, to know things that, uh, are, that, that most of us would not be able to know without being a prophet. And this is not entirely unusual. And so now again, Zacchaeus, he really wanted to see Jesus, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we don't, we don't really find Jesus. This is what this part of the passage is telling us. We, we, we don't find him. He actually finds us. He comes looking for us. He comes looking for you and he knows you by name. In most testimonies of how people became followers of Christ, we really see how instead of us who are us finding Jesus in some way, no, it's many times who, where Jesus finds us. He seeks us. And, and for, for so many of us in, this, in the Christian community, we, we, we find that it's the church that is a part of that. God uses the people. He uses the church to point us to Christ. That's how Christ continued to seek me in my life, where God brought people into my life who, who brought me back to him. 
and help me to understand what it meant to be a follower, to really understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that is the role of the church. That is such an important role that we have. And that's what can happen when the Spirit is working in us as a church and we're able to encourage one another and seek after one another. So let's continue to do that as a church, brothers and sisters, to point each other to Christ, to live as followers of Him. To share one example of how Jesus seeks the lost, I want to share the story of, of John Newton. You may have heard this story, but I want to share this Again, because it's so powerful. Now, John Newton is known for writing the hymn, Amazing Grace. And one of the lines from that hymn is a variation of what we see in our passage uh, here today, where it says, I once was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. Now, John Newton was indeed lost at one point in his life. He became a slave trader who made money off of kidnapping and selling slaves. But one day on his journey back home from sea, he, his ship was overtaken by a huge storm. And in that moment, he recalled a passage in Proverbs. For whatever reason, he recalled this passage. Because I have called and ye have refused, I also will laugh at your calamity. He converted in that moment during the storm. He, he felt God calling out to him. And he had refused over and over in his life. But in that moment, he felt he had to answer that call from God. And, and of course, he admitted even later that it was more than just that conversion that changed his life where he would consider himself to be a believer. But we see how, how God reaches out to us and and. And, and saves us and seeks us in this way. And so John Newton, he eventually gave up the slave trade and became an abolitionist, actually, someone who advocated for the end of, uh, of the slave trade. And he wrote many hymns, including the one that we sing all the time, Amazing Grace. Jesus came looking for John Newton through that storm, and that is why he could boldly claim that he was lost, but now was found. What we see in John Newton and, and, and Zacchaeus also is that even the worst of the worst can be saved. Even someone like Jeffrey Dahmer can be saved. Even the corrupt and evil can be saved. The outcast, the outsiders, those who seem to be unworthy of salvation, they all can be saved because the truth is we are all unworthy. No matter how much we compare, it doesn't really matter. We are all unworthy. We are all lost and we all need forgiveness. Jesus comes after us and seeks us. And, and the last thing we learn from our passage today is that when Jesus finds you, it changes your life. In verse 6 of our passage, it says, So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When Jesus found Zacchaeus, he received him joyfully. Remember, this is an unusual situation. Jesus basically calls out to the stranger and says, Hey, you, I, I, I know your name, right? And I'm going to your house for dinner tonight. You know, make sure you have something ready for us. That's, that's weird. Oh, and I'll also, I'm, I'm sleeping over as well, right? I think even in biblical times, that was an unusual thing to do. But Zacchaeus receives Jesus joyfully. And not only does he receive him joyfully, he says during the dinner, Behold, Lord, 
the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, I reread this section for us because we see the full context now of what Zacchaeus is doing. Jesus is going after Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus, in return, he receives Jesus. He receives him. Now he's willing to give up his possessions, and he's willing to repent for the ways he has sinned against others and against God. And so we see something radically changes in him. And he's saying, my life is totally different. Jesus has this power to completely change our lives, to transform our hearts. Now going back to the rich young ruler, after that interaction, Jesus said, it's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That's what he said after this interaction with the rich young ruler. Well, in this story, Jesus walks in Zacchaeus' life and basically says, look, I can change everything in your life. I can give you the satisfaction that you have been longing for. So much so that you will give up the idol of money and security and power, and you will consider Christ as your treasure. He changes the heart of Zacchaeus. That is what Jesus does. He changes our hearts. And not only does he change our hearts, it shows that our hearts have been changed. It really shows. He, he wants to return what he's stolen fourfold. And, and that idea of returning it fourfold is not new. It's something from the Bible in Exodus 22 where we see the laws of restitution. And so Zacchaeus now wants to do the right thing. He wants to obey the law, obey the commandments. And, he, and he's not forced into it. He wants to do it. And that's what Jesus does to us. It makes us want to change our lives. We don't do it begrudgingly. No, we do it joyfully like Zacchaeus does. Instead of wanting to satisfy ourselves, instead of wanting to do what we want to do for ourselves in our lives, we seek to do things for others, to give to the poor, to love God, to serve Him. We sacrifice and we find joy in the sacrifices of our lives. And that is the mark of a new, changed heart. Zacchaeus was willing to give up half his possessions to the poor, while the rich young ruler was unwilling to part with, with any of his possessions. Now, it's obvious here, it's not about how much you give. But it's, the, it's that the possessions no longer are your idol. It's no longer your God. God alone is our God. Jesus alone is our God. Zacchaeus is free from this idol. So we see by this heart change, by, by how he shows it, that he is truly a descendant of Abraham. Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham. He is going to receive the inheritance because he was lost and now is found. This past winter, our church participated in the Chinese Missions Convention. Uh, and in one of those sessions, uh, the speaker was Christopher Yuan, and he shared his story. It's a very powerful story, so I want to share some of that here again. So ever since he was young, he had these strong homosexual feelings. He had the same-sex attraction feelings in his life. And, and so he eventually decided to explore them, and he went fully, uh, he, he invested fully into that lifestyle. He, as he got older, he went to the gay bars and clubs and the party scene, and he became very sexually active also. But on top of that, he started getting into drugs. And not just using drugs, but he also started selling drugs. At one point, he 
had a bright future. He was a dental student. And a few months before graduation, he got kicked out of dental school. Now, of course, it's devastating, but it's because he had this dual life of being a drug dealer and also trying to go to school. Um, the turning point came in his life when he actually was caught by the police. He was sentenced to prison for, for years, and he found out that he had tested positive for HIV. Just three days after he went into jail, he saw something in the trash can, and what it was was a Bible, a Gideon's Bible, one of those Bibles you might see at a hotel room. And he saw the Bible, it caught his attention, and he grabbed it in that moment, and he read it for the first time. And by reading God's Word, he was convicted of his rebellion, not only against uh, the laws of, of this world, but against God. He realized there were consequences to his actions, and he was enduring those consequences. Now, it took him a year or so to fully surrender his life to God, and, and, and in that year, he tried desperately to find a justification for his homosexual lifestyle. He went through every verse, every word of the Bible, and he could not find it, so he had to choose. And this is what he says. So I was at a turning point, and a decision had to be made. It was either abandon God and his word to live as a homosexual by allowing my feelings to dictate who I was, or abandon homosexuality by liberating myself from my feelings and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. My, de my decision was clear and obvious, and I chose God. Christopher decided to change his life because his identity was, in, was, was as a child of God. That didn't mean he didn't, uh, he, 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 that didn't mean he had to be something he is not, right? It didn't mean that he had to change how he felt in any way. It didn't mean he had to be a heterosexual now, but it simply meant that he had to be a child of God, that he, his identity was as a child of God. And so it's not about the feelings. It's not even about the sexuality. It's about whether or not we choose to be a child of God. And it's about living a life that is transformed by Jesus. And that's what happens when we become a child of God, when our identity is rooted in Christ. We become his children and we change. Jesus changes us, brothers and sisters. It's so easy for us to judge others or, or, or to judge people for their sins. Especially uh, if we've grown up in, in, in a Christian household or as Christians are most of our lives, we, 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 we so easily judge others for their mistakes, for the ways they live their lives. But we have to realize we too need grace. We need it each and every day, even after believing in Christ. We need His grace to continue to live for Him, to be sanctified, and to repent from our sins. We have our own idols, and a lot of us uh, are blind to them. Perhaps we, our idols are to, to seek uh, our own satisfaction, our own security, and not in the things of God. We are all sinners. We are all in need of forgiveness. But thankfully, Jesus says, I've come and I'm here looking for you, and I know each of you by name. Come to me. That is Jesus' invitation. Now may we hear and listen and come to him because he is the truth, he is the way, he is the life. May we come to realize that, brothers and sisters, and may we believe that each and every day. 
Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you sent Jesus to seek and save the lost. Lord, we are lost. We are all lost and in need of forgiveness. And we're thankful that even the worst of us can be saved. Now, even though some of us may be uneasy with this truth, help us to realize that we are all truly in need of your grace. Lord, may we see and hear the truth of the gospel that Jesus has saved us from our sins on the cross. And may this truth change our lives as it did for Zacchaeus, for for John Newton, and for Christopher Yun. Lord, some of us may be holding on to the things of the world so tightly that we find our identity in those things. But God, help us to find our identity in the truth that we are a child of God. And that is all we need. Open our eyes and hearts and give us grace to believe and change us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters, and we hope the word encourages you here today. God bless, and we'll see you again next time.